You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Luke 19, 28-44. Before we read it, I want to ask, did you hear the political overtones of that psalm? God overthrows kings, rescues us in our humiliation. They're talking about their national humiliation. Did you hear it? Because I think sometimes we over-spiritualize things and we don't hear the context in the way it would be understood. They weren't praising God because they get to go to heaven when they die. They weren't praising God because their souls were saved. They're praising God because he liberated them from an oppressive empire into the nation that God had promised them to become, an actual real people. It's important that we get the context because that's the psalm that they would have sung or would have chanted during Passover festival. It's a political psalm. And that is the context we read this morning in Luke chapter 19, verse 28. When Jesus had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the place called Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples and said, Go into the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you'll find a young donkey tied there, on which one has never sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Say this, The Lord needs it. So those who were sent left and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the young donkey, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the donkey? The Lord needs it, they said. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their robes on the donkey, they helped Jesus get on it. Now listen to the text carefully. As he was going along, they were spreading their robes on the road. Now he came near a path down the Mount of Olives. And the whole crowd of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. Hosanna, the king who comes in the name of the Lord, was the blessed one. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees from the crowds told him, Teach, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Now I want you to remember, the religious political leaders are saying, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you that if they were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. Listen to the text closely. As he approached and saw the city, as all this is going on, as Jesus approaches and sees the city, he weeps over it, saying, if you knew this day that would bring the peace, if you knew this day what would bring peace, But now it is hidden from your eyes. For the days will come on you when your enemies will build an embarkment against you, surround you, and hem you in on every side. They will crush you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave one stone on another in you because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. That is the Palm Sunday text. You know, throughout the ages, a horse was more than just a ride. They were loyal companions who accompanied the masters to fight heroic battles, save them from an enemy attack, or carry messages and supplies. And the earliest evidence of horses ridden in warfare dates back from Eurasia between 4,000 and 3,000 B.C. And from pulling chariots to hauling supplies to carrying mighty heroes of battles, the war horses were considered the true heroes of battle as they combated enemy blows and survived to carry their masters back to safety. These well-trained, intelligent creatures were quick in battle and received honor and praise. And history is filled with their stories. History like Nelson, who's known in history as General George Washington's favorite war horse during the Revolutionary War, described as a splendid charger. Nelson was large in size and was said to be unaffected by cannon fire and the other sounds of battle. 
There's Traveler, the name of the Confederate General Robert E. Lee War, uh, Lee's War Horse, who fought the American Civil War. And it was due to the horse's popularity that Lee was always primary target of the enemy. And Traveler was a horse known with great stamina and would go for days without being exhausted. Of course, during the Second Battle of Bull Run, Traveler got nervous and retreated and died, stepping on a nail and contracting tetanus. Comanche was a Mustang owned by the army that survived General George Custer's detachment of the U.S. 7th Cavalry in the Battle of Little Bighorn. And he's one of the U.S.'s most famous war horses. After being wounded in battle, he was a star of many military parades. And when he died, this horse, this war horse was honored with a special military funeral. Reckless was owned by the U.S. military. She's known as one of the bravest war horses in our country's history. In the Korean War, she carried supplies and weapons, evacuated wounded soldiers. She achieved fame by, by uh, completing 51 solo trips in one day. And due to her heroic deeds, she was selected as one of the 100 all-time heroes by Life magazine. Then, of course, there's Marengo, the war horse that carried Napoleon Bonaparte. He led Napoleon to the famous Battle of Waterloo, galloped over 3,400 miles, round trip Paris to Moscow before being killed by British troops. Today, this horse, this war horse, Ringo Skeleton, stands tall in the National Army Museum in Chelsea. And then, of course, there's Bucephalus, who is the horse, the war horse of Alexander the Great, written by him since he was 13 years old. He had a city named after him. The horse was known to be a mighty creature who fought battles during Alexander's extraordinary conquest. But the horse, the war horse, was killed in legendary battle, which was fought between his master and the king of India. War horses. History's filled with them. Reveres them. But today's message is about a different kind of leader on a different kind of animal. Today we see Jesus who arrived to Jerusalem offering us a different way of seeing society, a different way of seeing our country, a different way of seeing our world, a different way of seeing our place in it as a people of the crucified and risen Lord. Now, before we get to the cross and Easter Sunday, we, we have to spend time going through the procession of Palm Sunday. See, the story that we read this morning is set in a time of the annual Jewish holiday known as Passover. This is when the worshipers of Yahweh gather from all over the world at the time to Jerusalem to celebrate Israel's liberation, to celebrate Israel's liberation from enslavement in Egypt. As you would imagine, Passover was a celebration of freedom. It was a holiday with strong patriotic tones. It was Israel's Independence Day as they also sat back and remembered the Maccabean revolt from two centuries earlier when Judas Maccabeus, known as the Hammer, led a Jewish war of independence against the Seleucid Empire. So as you'd imagine, Passover historically was this celebration of freedom, and it was a holiday with these strong patriotic overtones where they thought about resistance and liberation, and it, was, it created a hunger for liberation. It sparked ideas of revolution. As a matter of fact, history shows us that in times past, Prior to this particular day, Passover had resulted in small riots of resistance. So although Rome would allow the worshipers to celebrate this day, they needed to make sure law and order was kept. So they sent government officials accompanied by soldiers to keep the peace. And this year, who better to send than the Roman governor himself, Pontius Pilate? We know Pilate. Now, Pilate didn't live in Jerusalem. Pilate lived in Caesarea, the city named for Caesar, which would have been along the seaside of the Mediterranean. 
So he had to travel to Jerusalem to oversee the festival and establish the presence of law and order. So on the day Jesus comes to Jerusalem, the Roman governor comes to Jerusalem. The Roman governor rides into Jerusalem on a war horse, just as great leaders have done for thousands of years, dressed in Roman uniform. He dresses like a man of status, riding on his war horse, adorned with garments of war. His presence is a sign of power, because horses are meant for war. The Roman governor enters Jerusalem riding a war horse of the Jewish Messiah and promised king enters Jerusalem riding a donkey. And not just any donkey, as Aaron told us. Not a full-grown donkey, but a colt. A domestic field animal. Not a war horse. But that contrast sit with you for a moment. I mean, we say we're people of Scripture. That's what we say. So then we need to know the context of Scripture. And this is the context. Do you see the contradiction? Don't be like the early worshipers who also didn't see the contradiction. See, Jesus' triumphal entry in Jerusalem on what we now call Palm Sunday is this event filled with contradictions of great insight and great misunderstanding, of cheers and tears. On one hand, there is celebration among the worshipers as they wave palm branches as a call to arms. Their hope is that this miracle-wielding prophet from Galilee will turn out to be the long-awaited Messiah King that will liberate them from Roman oppression and occupation. And so they shout, Hosanna! Liberate now, save now. They're not saying we want to go to heaven when we die. They're not saying forgive us of our sins. They're saying liberate us, king, from the Roman occupation. That's what Hosanna means in the biblical context. They're talking about revolution. The son of David, the long-awaited ruler of Israel, the fulfillment of all of God's promises. The idea that Jesus would enter into Jerusalem and by his mighty works take his throne and free Israel from Rome is not the kind of liberation he'll bring. And this whole scene distresses Jesus. While the crowd cheers in Jerusalem, Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. Jesus does not share their optimism or enthusiasm because he does not share their violent nationalistic vision of Messiah. And despite their Palm Sunday cheers, the crowd does not see the Prince of Peace as Israel's true Messiah King. They are blinded by their own political agenda. And what we learn from history is how the tragic result of this failure to see Jesus as the promised Prince of Peace comes 40 years later with Jerusalem's total destruction including the temple and the loss of thousands of lives. That's what happens almost 40 years from this day. And so Jesus weeps and says in Luke 19, 41, as he approached and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, if you knew this day what would bring peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. For the days will come on you when your enemies will build an embarkment against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. They will crush you and your children within you to the ground, and they will leave 
that will not leave one stone on another in you because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Beloved, it's as if Jesus is saying, if only you would have believed in the possibility of the kind of peace powerful enough to change the heart of humanity and whole of society. It's as if Jesus is saying, if only you would have remembered the power of God and would have believed that he could change the world, not with military might, but with self-giving love. It's as if Jesus is saying, if only you would have known and understood the words of the prophet Zechariah when he prophesied of this day and said in Zechariah 9, 9 through 10, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion, shout in triumph, Daughter Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot, that's a sign of war, from Ephraim, and the horse, the war horse from Jerusalem. The bow of war will be removed, and he will proclaim peace to the nations. His reign will extend from sea to sea, from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. And Jesus is weeping in proclamation. It's as if Jesus is saying, if only you would have understood your prophets and poets when they spoke of me as your Messiah King, like Isaiah in chapter 42, when he said, this is my servant. I strengthen him. This is my chosen one. I delight in him. I have put my spirit on him. He will bring justice to the nations. He, he will not cry out or shout or make his voice heard in the streets. He will not break a bruised reed. And he will not put out a smoldering wick. He will faithfully bring justice. He will not grow weak or be discouraged until he's established justice on the earth. The islands will wait for his destruction. Beloved, it's as if Jesus is saying, if only you would have listened more closely to understand what I meant when I taught you, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure at heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Amen. See, like the worshipers of our text, we too often get confused about what kind of power can change the world. Palm Sunday, with this mix of cheers and tears, remind us, as a people of the gospel liberated by the reign of sin and death, we are invited to turn toward the cross when thinking of power. We remember that on Thursday, our Lord, the Messiah King Jesus, will be betrayed by one of his own and arrested. The Messiah King, who came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, will stand trial, will stand trial with the governor who came riding in on his war horse. crowd that shouted Hosanna will be the mob that shouts crucify him. They will choose the freedom of a criminal murderer named Barabbas, which means what? Anybody know? Translates Jesus. And they'll choose him over the Prince of Peace who is Jesus. And on Friday, the Messiah King will be put to death and executed on a cross. See, on Palm Sunday, beloved, we begin our journey of remembering how a different kind of power changed the world, changed our lives. When thinking of power, we're invited to remember the cross. God does not love with a bullying love. God is liberating the world through Jesus who establishes God's power in the world through self-giving 
love. God reigns not by taking absolute control over everything, though I wish sometimes he would. But instead emptied himself and became vulnerable, making that the kind of power that actually liberates. Making that the kind of power that creates. Making that the kind of power that redeems, that restores, that blesses, and that offers true peace. Today, on Palm Sunday, the Messiah King rides into our lives not on a war horse, beloved. Not on a war horse like the Roman governor Pontius Pilate, but on a donkey, the Prince of Peace. And this is important. Because like the worshipers of old, God's people still believe that the only thing that can change the world is more violence, fear, political revolution. We hear it on the news, on our social media feeds, and on talk radio. We talk about it with our friends and in our homes. And if we're honest, deep down, deep down in a world of bullets and bombs, we yearn for leaders to ride into town on war horses and we shout, liberate us, protect us, save us. And we miss the one who comes in on a peace donkey, the one called the Prince of Peace, Alpha and Omega, King of Kings, Redeemer and Lord of Lords. We miss him. We forget the cross is the sign of God's power. And beloved, we forget that Thursday teaches us that surrender is the way. We may even say to ourselves, how can that actually be the power that saves? That is naive and foolish in a world of violence. And Paul would say to us, I agree. Which is why he said in 1 Corinthians 1, 18, the word of the cross is what? Foolishness, Foolishness to those who are what? Yeah. See, dying people call this foolishness. But people who are alive in Christ, we call this what? God's power. And he'd go on to say in chapter 2, verse 6, however, we do speak a wisdom, say it with me, among the mature. See, only mature people will see this as wisdom. Only mature faith has the ability to see this as wisdom. But not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age, read it with me, who are coming to nothing. On the contrary, we speak God's hidden wisdom and a mystery, a wisdom God predestined before the ages of our glory, for our glory. None of the, say it with me, rulers of this age knew this wisdom, for if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. See, that's the context. What Paul is saying is if these folks, if we would have known, if they would have known that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, the one who will change the world, not through military might, but through self-giving love, they would not have crucified him because he was their hope, but they put their hope in kings. Because they play in the world according to the rules of the power of the world, and when you do that, all you get is violence. But when you play into the world with the rules of self-giving love and are willing to surrender yourself to the power of God that is the cross, then you open yourself up to the will of God because in doing so, you've surrendered yourself to the will of God. But when you surrender yourself to the power plays of this age, you move yourself outside of the will of God and open yourself up to the will of the rulers of this age. And that is damnation to the church. 
Palm Sunday becomes our deliverance. Palm Sunday becomes our disruption. Holy Week becomes the invitation to enter into the journey of cruciform love. To enter into the journey of the deepest kind of liberation our souls long for. A liberation that is big enough to overcome death while is still embracing it and mourning it and lamenting it, but surrendering it to the cross that has overcome even the worst the world has to offer, which is death. We acknowledge that in a world of violence, Jesus' life and teaching seems naive in the ways of the world, but we remember that when the moment, the moment that the church exercises its power apart from the story of Jesus and God's self-giving loves, or the moment that the church seeks to attempt or manipulate or control or even seek Babylonian principality power or seeks to shortcut personal relationships and do the hard work of beloved community, the moment the church does anything like this is the moment that it is no longer the power of God we are demonstrating. And so we commit ourselves. During Holy Week, commit ourselves to living in the contradiction. We commit to resisting the ways of power of this world and choose instead to trust that God's power works His deepest work in us when we live in the contradiction. And so we say it is hard. It is so hard. We see the violence, we see the pain, we hear of war, and we want to remain committed to the Prince of Peace, but the war won't let us. And so we want to mount up on horses of war, but the Prince of Peace who rides in on a donkey won't let us. And the good news for us is given in Palm Sunday. That Christ is the freedom giver, the life bringer the overcomer, the homemaker, and a society held captive to the anxiety, exhaustion, violence, and displacement promoted by the reign of sin and death. And it is why we come to the table, because we learn that before the cross comes, there must be surrender. We surrender to the power of God and entrust ourselves to the God who's overcome, we surrender to the power of the world and try to take overcoming in our own hands. <clears throat> Beloved, when we surrender to the power of God and we make ourselves vulnerable to that power, yes. we open ourselves up to the will of God because that is the way of God in the cross. Are you with me? Yeah. But when we surrender ourselves to the power of politics, the power of the rulers of this age, and we surrender ourselves there. And we find ourselves sidestepping the way of the cross. And we move ourselves into a place of captivity rather than liberation. Because when we surrender to the power of the cross, we are empowered to speak truth to power. We are empowered to be free and liberated from the plays of power. And then we can sing what we really mean to sing when we say our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness.
when we surrender to the power of the rulers of this age, we're just a clanging, clanging cymbal and ringing gong of noise in a world that is exhausted by the violence and fear that overcomes it. Church can and should be the light into the world, but we're going to have to trade in war horses for donkeys of peace. And every day we come to the table and we gather, that is a proclamation we make. We're confessing with open hands that the way of power wasn't working. It's only killing us. And we submit ourselves to the power of the cross because we're saying that's the only one that can liberate us. Jonathan, will you come? Beloved, come to the table. Be free. And let Palm Sunday be the beginning of your journey toward Holy Week, where you recommit to surrender, where you recommit to the way of the cross. Don't rush to the cross, beloved. Don't rush to it. And don't rush through it to get to Easter Sunday. Walk through the week of surrender. Now, to help us do that, once the gathering is over, I'm going to ask everybody to pull chairs out of the room because this afternoon, the staff and I, we're going to set up this entire room for Stations of the Cross that are going to open up tonight at 6. And we're going to leave this open from 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. every day for you to walk through this as many times as you want to, re to, rehearse, to rehearse the story of surrender. And to spend time in the way of Jesus. But now, for now, Come to the table. Love it. Come to the table. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. 